preach today. Would you just hold that cup up before the Lord? Would you ask him, humbly ask him to fill my cup, Lord? And let it overflow. Phil, did you just really hold up a real cup? That was, that was, so, <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> did you just, that was cool, man. Hey, listen, uh, if you don't hear anything else today, I hope you hear uh, all that the Spirit will say. It's important to me that you hear this, though. I want you to know that before I preach to you, you got to know that I love you. All right? Uh, thank you so much. I value this opportunity to sow the seeds of the Word of God into your life. Uh, I pray that they make a difference. And today, I believe the Word's going to bring somebody a harvest. In my ear, I'm humming a little bit, but I'll let y'all handle that. So good morning. Blessings to everyone. I'm excited that we've all chosen to be together here on Palm Sunday. Amen. Very special day in the life of the Christian church. Christians all around the world mark this day as the beginning of Holy Week. On display this week is the love of God, the agenda of God, and the passion of Christ. There are a lot of highs and lows this week. And many of us have committed to walking the week out with Jesus. If you do, one of the things that is sure, this day is, this season is sure to elicit an array of emotional impulses and responses. As much as we relive the events of this week, we are astounded at his sacrifice and the overreaching, overarching display of God's love. And church, speaking of love, today we continue our series on all love. Or do me a favor, throw your hands back, say it's all love. We started the series back in Black History Month where we discovered that love has been given to the church and to any people who would embrace it to help them go further and faster in their negotiations. We can do better when we choose to operate from the position of love. When we choose love, we will move forward as a people, a family, a culture, and a society. Love, as we have established, is the one and only necessary vehicle sent by God to help us navigate people and problems or people problems. (laughs) As Pastor Eric defined last week, we're praying for he and his family. They're on vacation praying that they're having a good time away from the church. We pray that, that they're not watching, and we pray that they're just, uh, uh, <laughs> pray that they're just having a good time. They're lost, and they're in the water somewhere, right? Marco, Polo, Marco, that's, that's what we want for them, all right? Uh, love leaves, uh, he preached, though, last week that love leaves an evidence. Uh, love has a fingerprint uh, and if you deal with people in love and through love uh, in our interactions and we're supposed to be doing with love, a question you might ask yourself, uh, if we went back to the scene where you were supposed to love somebody, would there be enough evidence there to convict you? Uh, so, but most of us uh, look to exhibit love in the way that we personally want to receive it and in the way that we personally value uh, to stand and benefit from the transaction. And so the big question is, uh, I think we have it here, uh, are you equipped to stay the course when love hurts? And that's a question that we're going to try to answer today. Uh, staying the course when love hurts. So again today, we're going to look at a different dimension of love, and in particular, one of its causes and effects of love. 
As you and I will undercover today, and for just a few minutes together, we'll discover that among other things, love produces anguish. Anguish. Would you look at somebody and just say, sometimes, ah, do me a favor, look at somebody and say, sometimes, love hurts. Love can break your heart. Tina Turner asked two amazing questions. Number one, she says, what's love got to do with it? The second question she asked is, who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Our love for a cause or a person will ultimately be tested. In fact, when I was preparing this summer, I personally wonder if you and I truly get to call it love, what we, if we truly get to call what we feel love, until and before it brings us to a place of inner conflict and emotional pain. To love is always good, but does not feel good. So in review, a few weeks ago, Pastor uh, Eric preached and said, love knows when to push and when to hold, and he would not challenge the church that day, but he just said, God told me to tell us, that he loves you. And so the church responded to that. And then uh, he reached the next week and said, love is often misunderstood and misappropriated. We considered that love tells the truth. We considered last week that love has an evidence. And today we're going to look at love's inherent pain. Join me in Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 36. We have that text up here. And just for a few minutes, we're going to look at what happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then we're going to gleam a few things from that and how we get through uh, when love calls us us and brings us to inner conflict and to pain. The word of the Lord in uh, verse, uh, chapter 26, verse 36. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. That's important. We're going to come back to that. I'm in verse 37. Are you with me? He took Peter and two Uh, sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled then he said to them my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death stay here but keep watch with me stay connected to me going a little further he fell on his face to the ground and prayed my father if it is possible may this cup be taken from me yet not as I will but as you will Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. He asked them, couldn't you men watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping. Because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Come, here comes my betrayer. I'll tell you guys a story that made pastoring real to me 
And, and, and I know that all of us have experienced some of this. I'm going to tell you one of the, one of the stories out of my archives and that broke my pastoral heart. And, and, and if you pastor right, you've you got to have your heart out there. There's no way to do God's business and not invest your heart, the, the soul of who you are. So one day, you know, trying to be a really good pastor, uh, not sure if I was doing it or not, but, 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 but just trying to love I was calling around, and I was just checking on people who hadn't been around, and, and, I, and I stumbled on this one lady, called her, who she had been a longstanding member of the church, and she let me know that she was sick, and she had the flu or whatever, and she was in dilemma, and I said, hey, you know, how can I pray for you? How can I be a blessing? How, what can we do? And she said to me, watch this church, Pastor, I'm sick. I have the flu. I haven't been to work in a week. I don't have any money, uh, but they're going to cut my lights off today. I'm like... As in today, day, like today, they're going to cut your lights off. So I was at work and I could tell she was in despair and she would have been trying to figure this out. And, and I think it was God's grace that I happened to call her that day and, and that we had that communion and, and she was able to give me that information. And so, you know, the little pastor that I tried to be had to go into action. So I told my supervisor, yo, I got to go. I got to take care of a little business. They let me off of work for a few hours. I called the church's treasure. I said, like, how we look? I need to do a benevolence. And like, pastor, here's where we are. Here's what we can do. So I said, dear, how much is your bill? What do you need to do? What would pay it all? What would keep your lights from getting cut off? And so we, we found that business. I personally left work, went to the bank, got the money. And because she was sick, uh, I personally went down to IBL on Illinois, stood in line in the cold, and then walked up and say, hey, here's the account number. I need to pay this bill. Is this your bill? So no, no, it's one one. I'm, I'm helping a friend. And I paid the bill. And, and, and that was it. And washed her hands. Never thought twice about it. Uh, two weeks later, she came to the church, announced to everybody that she was leaving the church. And she said... The reason she was leaving was because she wasn't being fed. And, and of course, you know, you, you get to decide if you want to leave the church. But, but, but her motive was, was a little more intent. And she tried to kind of dog it and diss it in, in the process. And I know we had only tried to love and, and she didn't have to see it that way. And so that broke my pastor's heart. Like, yo, man, like, it's not tit for tat for sure. Uh... It's not a yang for every yang. I get that. But somewhere along the line, you want it to add up a little bit. Somewhere along the line, you want it to, to, to have it feel. And, and, and that was the day I learned about God's love, not just as a pastor. And so the question is, uh, church, what do you do when people you are called to love do little to help you love them? What do you do when the people you are called to love do not reciprocate and don't show you anything back? And it is right there in these verses in the Garden of Gethsemane where you and I have maybe our Gethsemane moments. Where we have to ponder the, the call of God on our life to love people when and if and sometimes there's nothing in them that wants to love you back. In fact, they won't even give you evidence. They won't even give you proof of why you should love them. And if you and I are not careful, uh, uh, we'll struggle in those moments. And in this text, we get a glimpse of Jesus being fully man and fully God. We see his anguish. We see his disappointment. We see his fear. We see his dread. 
He was overwhelmed and sorrowful as he is betrayed and abandoned. He had to be in this place. I want you to know that that is the most valuable lesson I learned as a pastor. It broke my heart. I had to go through it. And in fact, it's what let me love people because now as a pastor, I no longer pastor with my personal ceiling or capacity to love. I try to do it with God's love. My little pastor in love would never be enough for this. So what is the main message of Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane when he accepted the will of the Father? It is that you and I, when we get to these places, when we get to these hard places, and if you never get there, it's only because you're really not loving. Again, I don't know if we even get to call it love if it doesn't bring us to conflict. I don't know if it's even proven to be love if it never brings us to pain. And what should you and I do when we get there? We must seek to obey the higher command of the Lord. And we do so every time when we say no to sin in this inner voice and we say yes to the grace of God. God has not called us to love in a place where he doesn't plan to give us capacity to love. And so when you and I get to this stalemate, when you and I get to this impasse, we must ask God to give us the strength to exercise his love. Jesus obeyed God as Father in the midst of the most terrible darkness. He asked God three times. He prayed. Just want to check in. Is it possible? I just, I just, I'm living in the tension of it. I'm living in the tension of it. And, and you and I, when, when, when life calls us to live in the tension of it, we too should go to God. Bible says, Psalms 1, we should not, not, not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but you and I, when we really want to know what to do, when we really want to know how to go forward, when it really isn't adding up on paper, we got to go to God, and that's exactly what Jesus did. There's another example, the Apostle Paul. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible says in verse 6, it says, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking of the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, listen to what Paul says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, and three times... There's that word, there's that, there's that, that going back three times. And isn't it interesting that in our call from God and when we're in pain, but we're in pain because we're trying to do the right thing. We're in pain because we're trying to do the godly thing. We're in pain because we're doing the thing for which God has called us and we're right there and now it's not going well. And when we go to God three times means that God won't change his mind. It's good to know that God would have us stay the course even when we don't see the evidence. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, Paul says. But he said to me, somebody rejoice with me, my grace is sufficient for you. And if you're going through this morning, that might be the word, that might be the very thing you came to church to hear. 
somebody that's struggling this morning in the love area, love capacity, and, 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 and wait a minute, wait, can, I'm just going to go, like these kids got you right here, right? <laughs> somebody, somebody, these kids, they got you right here. Uh, uh, this job, it, you, you feel like this job got you right here. You, you sinking on this job. These people, these circumstances, these issues, and somebody, uh, you came to church to hear the Lord say, but my grace is still sufficient for you. My grace is still sufficient for you. In fact, in fact, uh, here's what Paul says. Uh, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. I didn't call you weak. I just said you're going through a period of weakness. Anybody know you can have a weakness of a steel that doesn't make you weak? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. This is what somebody needs to do today, even before I get to my big point. Somebody needs to rejoice more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Uh, here, here's the conclusion. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Come on, somebody rejoice with me in that. Let me hit a couple scriptural observations. Uh, uh, verse 36 says, then, then Jesus uh, went to a place called Gethsemane, and he, he was with, we assume, the 11, because we know Judas out doing some crazy stuff right about now. Uh, 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 and he tells them to sit here while I go and pray. So if he's with the 11, but then he takes Peter, James, and John closer. And, and what I want to glean from this, because I, I, I don't have time to really go into this, uh, but when you are in your critical areas and when, when things are tough on you, it's your job, right, to know who's on the team because all 11 of them are on the team, but eight of them he put on the bench. Eight of y'all need to sit here and three of y'all need to come forward with me. See, when, so, so in basketball terms, it is assumed that whoever starts are the five best people. But what coaches will tell you is, no, it's the five people on the floor at the end of the game. Those are the five best people. Who's playing when it's the most critical? Those are the people that, that are proven to be the best. And so it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And here, Jesus, it's about to go down for him. It's about to finish. And it's your job to know who should be close and who should be at a distance. Everybody that's on the team can't help you finish. And so Jesus thinks that Peter, James, and John, though, can help him finish. And so he brings them closer into the Garden of Gethsemane with him. And uh, he's having two things. There's a vertical relationship. There's a vertical conversation. And there's a horizontal one. And what he thinks he's going to get from Peter, James, and John, because he brings them closer into the garden with him, ultimately, he's disappointed. Ultimately, he's disappointed. And so, and so we all have these categories of people. And, and, and they're in juxtaposition to our crises, to our circumstances. Some people, the eight, we don't expect as much from them, so we tell them to sit over there. But these three, y'all, we expecting a lot from these three. And all of us have this list. Like, like these are the people 
I know I can count on. These are the people I know have my back. Uh, these, are the, these are the people that I know are going to come through for me. And, and so he brings them. And church, what do you do when the people you know are going to come through for you? Don't. But wait a minute, church. What do you do when the people you know are going to come through for you? Can't. It's not that they don't. But there are some circumstances and some crises that God would allow to be present in your life. And he knows that not only, uh, even if they want to, he set it up so they can't. Because there are some answers that he only wants you to get from him. And so he'll bring us to this place. Of disappointment that, that when my mother and my father forsake me, I wish I was preaching to somebody. The Bible said, then you're qualified. It is not until your mother and your father forsake you. Nobody wants to experience that. But the Bible said that if that relationship fails, then the Lord will step in. Y'all, 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 he qualifies for a one-on-one audience of God. And it is not until... People fail us. People come short. And sometimes it's because we put them in the place where we, they're doomed to fail. Because only God, I came to tell the church right here, only God. I came to tell somebody where you are right now, only God. Come on, somebody rejoice with me. Only God. Only God. This is about God. Let, let, me, let me finish like this. So I'm going I'm to skip half of it. Don't laugh. I know. I had my review this week. It was mostly positive, but, you know, <laughs> it's all good. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. See, see we do it differently where I come from. Like, we do. We, it's a little more loose. It's, it's not as structured as y'all get down, but I'm, I'm trying to get into y'all's thing. All right, so here, here, are my three, here are my three big points. Number one is assignment. Number one is assignment. Three, three things happening here. First one is Jesus has an assignment. You also have an assignment. What's an assignment? It's a task or piece of work assigned to someone as part of a job or course. It's your mission. It's your commission. It's your function. It's your labor. It's your charge. And any time that involves other people and you as a believer, right, that could be marriage, that could be childhood, that could be neighbor, that could be friendship, if you as a believer enter that, right, and you have been sent to that by God, right, then believe it or not, you think it's just your friend, but God thinks you're on assignment. <laughs> you're on assignment from God, right? And God, there's something that God wants to do for that person, to that person, through, and he's trying to do it through you. And so what happens that you and I will often focus more on the negative aspects and forget that God sent us to this situation to be on assignment. So if you're married, you're really on godly assignment, right? If you're in a friendship, if you belong to Common Ground Northeast, right, we just don't go to church together. We're all here on God's assignment, y'all. And it is our responsibility to love one another to a better place. God is trying to use us to bless us. And we all carry this assignment. So, love is an assignment from God, and the people we're called to love, they are people that God loves. 
To love God is to love his agenda. To honor God is to honor that assignment. He gives us help with his assignment. The assignment involves us using, letting God use us to accomplish his agenda. So we're all on assignment, and that's really good the day we get commissioned. I'm excited. I'm going for it. I thank the Lord for using me. I love you. I said I do. Hey, we're cool. We're friends. We're whatever. However we get into this, it's valuable to me, and I'm excited. And then in the middle of it, it gets tested because in the middle of it, we all make a post-assignment assessment. Number two is assessment. That when I get in the middle of it, I don't have all the joy of the first day when I got into it. When I get in the middle of it, I find you hard to love sometimes. When I get in the middle of it, I make an assessment. And sometimes in my value assessment, what's an assessment? It's an evaluation, a judgment, an estimation. It's an appraisal. And sometimes when I appraise you from the middle of the circumstance, you don't have the same value that you had when we started. I make an assessment. Where's the conflict? The conflict comes because God hasn't changed the assignment. But you and I make an inner assignment assessment. And our assessment doesn't equal up to the stuff that God wants us to do in our assignment. Let me, let me, let me make this make sense for you. God gave Jonah an assignment. But Jonah made an assessment, right? And Jonah's assessment would not let him do God's assignment. God like, Jonah, God like, I love them. I don't care what you think about them. I'm sending you to them. I want you to bless them. I'm trying to heal them. I want you to love them. That's God. God Jonah like, okay, God, that looks good. But I did a little assessment. <laughs> I did a little figuring on my own. And I conclude that you love them, but I don't. I conclude that they're not worthy of it. I did an evaluation. I did an appraisal. And, 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 and me and you came back, God, we got different numbers. I don't value them as high. And sometimes we're, what happens when we start loving people and when it gets hard, y'all, our flesh might give them a different valuation. And what happens is that many of us will love people from the fruit of our assessment as opposed to the magnitude of God's assignment. And when we get there, congratulations, you in conflict. You in conflict. And y'all, it can happen in any relationship we have. It happens in marriage, it happens in friendship, it happens in church, it happens in multicultural church, it happens in multi-ethnic. That's what it all, that's the problem. We make personal assessments of people that aren't consistent with God's assignment on our life. And whenever we get there, we have to go back to God. It's God, here's how I see it. Here's how I assess it. I'm not saying I won't do it. I just need clarity on the assignment. I need to go back to the foundation of the assignment 
and I need you to tell me, do you still see it this way? Do you still value them? Is this, is this still like when I started off? And God tells Jesus, no, the assignment is still good. I'm still trying to love them. I still require this of you. And Jesus, unlike many of us, is willing to say, okay, cool, cool, cool. I, I just needed to be sober. I, I just need to be good. But not my will, but your will be done. How many people are you hating on or you don't value the same? And it's not God's will that you feel that way. God says, no, my will is I need you to see them like I do. Let me finish it like this. There is an assignment. We all make an assessment. But when Jesus goes back to God and when you go back to God, God says, yeah, I still require it of you. Because number three, I'm doing a work of atonement. This is above your pay grade. I'm just using you. To the extent that you want to let me use your life, your hands, your, your influence in that person's life, your positioning and all like that, I'm going to bless you. But I haven't changed my mind. I've called you here because way above your head and above your pay grade, my agenda is atonement. I'm bringing them. What is atonement? Reparation for wrong or injury. Maybe they are some of the stuff that you say in your assessment. But I'm not going to leave them there. I knew that when I sent you. I knew that they may be broken. I mean, they may be hurting. I know they may have these issues, but I'm doing a work of atonement. So let me finish it like this, church. Everybody in here has been called. I, I, hope, I hope today's sermon, if, 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 I, if I said uh, who shot J.R., who would know what I was talking about? <laughs> who shot J.R.? You know, like if you're young, you're going to have to Google that word. <laughs> Uh, so it was the network's way of like TV works so much different now, but basically in the spring of 79 or that there was Dallas ran and this show called Dallas and one of the main characters got shot and they didn't reveal who shot him. And so all summer it was a big cliffhanger. Right. And the question around the nation was who shot Jr. Right. And we, we couldn't know until they can resume the series in the fall or whatever. So that was a cliffhanger, and I hope my sermon today is a cliffhanger that makes everybody come back and tune in next week so we can, so we can answer this question. So basically, when we love, when we sign up to work for God, here's what we should expect. Inasmuch as Christ has suffered in the flesh, you and I are to arm ourselves likewise. And if love does not bring you to conflict, if love does not bring you to pain, you should question at some point, are you really loving this? Because God's love uh, will always be consistent with our personal value system. It will exceed it. It will demand more of us than, 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 than what we can muster. So what if I told you that that lady 
did leave the church, but often called me for help after that. <laughs> what if I told you that? What, what, if, what if I told you that? And we had caller ID, too, so I knew it was her. <laughs> I was still required to love her going forward. I've helped her numerous times. And she dissed me and dogged me and had little to good to say about me, but also needed me. Right? Here it is. I will lift up my eyes into the hills from which comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This is not true about Peter, James, and John. Right? Because they sleep. And I believe that God would not let them be conscious about his circumstance because he did not want the answer to come from Peter, James, and John. He wanted it to come from him. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Listen, church, if you're struggling today, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this day forward, even forevermore. Come on, let's give God praise for today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, for your word. I thank you for this time that we had to contemplate that love will bring us to anguish. And we thank you that you asked the right question of your father. You didn't ask Peter, James, and John what you should do. In fact, they weren't even coherent. All you could do was ask your father. And I thank you that you've chosen us for a love assignment here at Common Ground Northeast. And all the roles that we play for each and every one of us, one of the things that you've assigned us to do is love people within the periphery of this ministry. We thank you for that call. And we pray now, God, that your assignment is always more pervasive and more impactful than our assessment. I pray now, God, for every place you've called us to love, that there is enough evidence to convict us, that we do leave our fingerprint. Our DNA is all over that scene. And we could not help but to be convicted. Bless us to stay in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of the Lord requires a response. This is the time where we reflect.